Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Cricket is back, Test Cricket is back, and it's been a fantastic match, more than we could have hoped for, really, and certainly more than the West Indies could have hoped for, having nobly come over to restart our cricket season. They've won that first Test match down at the Aegeus Bowl, and deservedly so. Faz Mohammed joins us again. We've got to have you back on, Faz, because uh, there must be a great deal of, of jubilation in the Caribbean. Actually, I'd just like to sort of go back to a famous character in your history, and that is Kirtley Ambrose's mother, who, of course, used to ring the bell every time Kirtley took a wicket. She reputedly rang the bell in Sweet's Village in Antigua on the uh, veranda of her house. So if she was still alive... She would really be ringing the bell tonight, wouldn't she? I'm sure she would be, and they'd probably ring the bell loudest in Jamaica for Jermaine Blackwood because he was someone who probably only got his chance because of the absence of Darren Bravo and Shimron Hetmeyer for COVID-19 reasons. So for the West Indies to start this series with a victory, the first time the West Indies are ahead in a Wisden Trophy series in England since the year 2000 when they started with a win and then lost the series 3-1. It's a fantastic start. Yes, there might have been an element of luck, but I don't think uh, the West Indies would have had a chance of getting 200 on a last day without some luck given the vulnerability of their top order batting. So it's an excellent result for them and we'll have to wait and see what happens in the next two matches. In a way, the fact they were able to deal with the, the emotion, uh, the, the whole kind of uh, surreal setup of the game, plus this sort of Black Lives Matter and taking a knee at the start and, and all that went before it, it's been a, a tremendous achievement by the West Indies in foreign conditions to hold it all together. Indeed, and a couple of things would have helped them along the way. The fact that they were in the UK for an entire month. Yes, they were isolated. Yes, it might have been frustrating. But the fact is that teams don't get that length of time anymore to acclimatise for the start of any tour or any series. You're basically in a week before. They've had an entire month. It was intra-squad matches and so on. The Black Lives Matter situation, because we're talking about the Caribbean with the history of slavery and indentureship and colonial 
governance and so on, that would have resonated with them. Michael Holding's emotive response on the opening day of the series, they would have recognized that as well. And just the fact that for a couple of players here, this was an excellent opportunity to respond to the critics back in the Caribbean, including people like myself, who would have said that they continue to be bits and pieces players who don't really deliver consistently. So there are a number of elements that would have tied into the West Indies team delivering this performance. And again, there's always that additional motivation when the West Indies are playing England. When it is in the Caribbean, they, they, they certainly have a much better record than people seem to want to notice against England. And now in the UK, as we saw in 2017, with that famous win in Headingley, they certainly believe that they've got a better than even chance against England now. Simon, I guess uh, we gave you the day off yesterday, um, gathering your thoughts overnight. Did you expect the West Indies to, to pull off that this morning? I, th- I thought they had a good chance. I thought it would be a really tight last day. I thought sort of two to four wickets, actually. I thought it might be a bit tighter than it actually was. I, you know, By the end, West Indies was winning the game reasonably comfortably at 27 for three, I'd given up on them. I thought thought the game was gone then. Early wickets, the pitch was up and down. Uh, Archer was bowling really well. I mean, England had plenty of ammunition in their attack. There was some turn there for Don Best. I thought uh, Blackwood played really well. I mean, he he reined himself in. Okay, he he did have some luck. There was the catch to Ben Stokes at slip where he tried to anticipate the cut shot and was going to his right and then had to go back to his left in the end and he deflected it over the bar. The big moment really, I suppose, was the the Joss Butler drop catch when Blackwood had 20. I mean, that is a catch you'd expect your wicketkeeper to take, really. Down the leg side, two hands to it, and he, and he spilled it, even though the umpire gave a leg by. But England, of course, would have uh, reviewed it and, he, and he would have been given out. So there were moments for England. There was a run out as well. I mean, there, was, there were opportunities created, uh, albeit off no balls in actual fact. There was a wicket off a no ball and there was a drop catch off a no ball as well. It was, it was one of those days when it was sort of like nearly, a nearly day for England. But West Indies just played, I thought, just played really disciplined, tight cricket throughout the match. And England just couldn't quite compete with them. And it, it comes back to that point I was making at the, at the start of the test match. That, I mean, there are some good players in the England side. It's a developing side. But it's, you know, it's by no means a perfect side. I know they won in South Africa. But we, you know, we've seen, I think, you know, we've been here many times before. And I've said it many times before that you know, the, the win in South Africa is not a great South African side. And you know, England, have, England have lost the first test match of a series yet again. And they've made a, a regular habit of that recently. What about the fact that, and Faz uh, alluded to this uh, in, uh, early in, in one of his earlier answers, that uh, it's unusual for a team in this day and age, a visiting team, to have the preparation that they had for a tour or for, for a test series, given that the West Indies have been here for 30 days. Admittedly, they haven't actually played a, a competitive match, but they've been able to to be in the environment in Manchester and get used to the conditions and, and maybe talk and really think about the game rather than rushing from A to B and arriving a week before the first test, as a lot of teams do nowadays. So kind of what, what do you think, you two, about that, the, the influence of a bit better preparation helping the, the visiting team? Yeah, just at the risk of repeating what I would have said earlier, I think that would have made a difference. And I think also the fact that the West Indies have reinstated Phil Simmons as coach. I think what we've seen since his reinstatement has reinforced that it was a terrible decision by Cricket West Indies, then under the presidency of Dave Cameron, to sack him 
2016. Because again, Phil Simmons is the sort of individual, you guys would know him from county cricket, you would have seen him as an international cricketer, very successful with Leicestershire as well. Very much a team man, very much an individual who rallies the troops, but he doesn't brook any sort of nonsense. And that was what was going on when he spoke out against it when he was sacked about uh, interference to the selection process and he was gotten rid of uh, primarily because of that. And now we've seen the West Indies, okay, it's not going to be this enormous resurgence that many people might be hoping for because there are still lots of chinks in the armour that, that need to be sorted out. But I think what Simmons brings to the team is a sense of cohesiveness, a togetherness, uh, where, where everyone seems to be working hard. As I said before, it's easy to get carried away with one victory, but the fact that they have been together, that they've had a squad of trip players training with them together, it builds a lovely camaraderie in that sort of environment. And I think all of those elements have come together to produce a, a team that was really willing to fight it through all the way to the end today. Actually, um, it, you're right about Phil Simmons. He's that sort of no-nonsense kind of character. I remember playing against him in county cricket, actually, and he's the only man who's, I think, hit the bowler into an upstairs bedroom window and threw into the actual bedroom of the house overlooking Darlington Cricket Club way back in, in the 80s sometime. He hit my slower ball about 120 metres and just smirked uh, after us as well. I don't think the person who had the ball through his window into his bedroom was, was quite so happy. But Simon, do you think that in a way this preparation that the West Indies have had, plus the fact there's no crowd, in a way denies England home advantage? Well, Jason Holder was asked about that in the post-match interviews, actually. You know, the fact that England didn't have the, their support urging them on on the last day. I mean, you can imagine at certain situations on that last day, you know, if there had been a crowd, you know, that, that they would have been getting behind England's bowlers at crucial points, and it probably does lift the bowlers to some extent. He actually said, oh, I missed it. I missed the support. I mean, you know, it's difficult for everybody. I think, you know, it's such an unusual situation to play a test match like this, you know, behind closed doors. Uh, England probably are, are far more used to having support, you know, pretty much everywhere they go there are England supporters and normally quite a lot of them West Indies crowds have been you know really down you know in the Caribbean we're used to seeing lots of empty seats when West Indies play test matches in the Caribbean Uh, I'm not saying that helped them but perhaps the atmosphere they were a bit more used to that um the other thing about you know being together for that long, it, it must help, you, you'd think. I mean, it can go the other way. You can sort of get sick of the sight of your, your teammates after a while. You can have you know, too much of a good thing. But on the day, you know, in crucial moments of the game, West Indies outplayed England. England didn't bat well enough in the first innings. And today, West Indies, enough discipline in their batting. Blackford's batting today, really disciplined with that bit of luck. You know, and it's, it, it, was, it was a tight game. I mean, you know, it could have gone either way, but West Indies were good enough just to get over the line. Faz, tell us about Jermaine Blackwood that a lot of people won't know too much about. Quite a sort of exuberant type of player who seemed to rein himself in well today. What, what's his background? Well, I'm sure the, the English fans from way back in 2015 will recall Jermaine Blackwood because he, uh, he certainly made his mark, uh, having made his debut the year earlier against New Zealand. Uh, his first uh, couple of scoring shots were, were an edge through slip for four and a six over long on. So that seems typical, uh, Jermaine Blackwood, uh, for, for him to start his career as he did at Queen's Park Oval in Trinidad in 2014. The very next year, of course, he got that 100 in Antigua, followed up with a, an, an 85 in Barbie 
latest when the West Indies won that test match. Uh, and subsequent to that, he, he got quite a few decent starts, a couple of 50s and 90-odd here and there, but would almost always throw his wicket away and get out in some really horrid circumstances, charging down the track, inside edging to the keeper, stumped by half a mile, driving to mid-off as he was out twice, even in this test match, even though he got uh, to, to 96. So, so again, uh, he's really worked extremely hard to rein himself in. Even when he got an opportunity as a concussion replacement for Darren Bravo uh, last year, last September in Jamaica, uh, he didn't take advantage of it. Uh, he's been dropped some six times already uh, as a West Indies test batsman, but now he's gotten another opportunity. He's had an outstanding regional first-class campaign. He's been our top scorer in our domestic first-class tournament, which was truncated by COVID-19. And because of the absence, again, of Bravo and Hetmeyer, he's got his chance. And it certainly seems as if he wants to work harder. But I, again, it's not about getting carried away because some of the shots that he played, especially those uppercuts to third man, could sometimes go anywhere. He could probably turn up at Old Trafford and the first delivery phase tries the same thing and edges to the keeper. And then we're saying, oh my goodness, here we go again. Jermaine Blackwood, typical. So again, six or one half a dozen of the other, but you've got to give him credit for his persistence. It's a good point you make, Faz, actually. I mean, because he, he did actually chuck his wicket away twice in this test match. But the crucial thing is in the second innings, he didn't chuck it away too early. He was, he was so disciplined. And actually, it was England's mistakes that, in a way that allowed him to, to, to profit. But, he, you know, he deserved that, that bit of luck. One thing which we haven't talked about yet, or two things we haven't talked about, is the two big decisions that England made in this test match. And let, let's talk about batting first, because I think we, we all agreed that we're going to wait until the end and sort of see whether actually the last day pitch, it was difficult for batting. Ben Stokes, you know, said in his, his post-match interview, he said, you know, well, it was a, you know, a first innings pitch versus a sort of fourth innings pitch, you know, and, that, and that's why they went with the decision to, to bat first, because they thought it would be much harder batting uh, last than, than batting first. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of comment about that. Inevitably, uh, you know, when England lose, people say, "Ah, oh, they, they made that. They made the wrong decision." I mean, the stats say, you know, it does get harder to bat at Southampton in the fourth innings. You know, England won a Test match here against India, uh, where India couldn't chase 240 in, in the fourth innings here a, a couple of years ago. Uh, it, it, it is, do you think, Yoz, in the end, it, it's just down to the result, or, or sometimes you can do the right thing, but the the right thing doesn't happen for you. In other words, you know, they, they, they were fine with batting first. They just didn't bat quite well enough. And the Westin is, you know, just edged them. Or, or do you think actually fundamentally they got that wrong? Well, I think what happened is they got the selection wrong. They got the selection wrong by going for Wood and Archer, not being able to choose between them. So they really kind of almost uh, committed themselves to this... Uh, uh, intent to use pace to exploit a wearing pitch on the fourth and fifth day, expecting it to go underground and the odd one to lift as well. So I think they decided to go with pace rather than accuracy and movement by leaving out Stuart Broad. That committed them to batting first and bowling last. And I think it was the wrong way around. I think if they'd picked Stuart Broad, I think it would have been an Ashes Test match, they would have definitely picked Stuart Broad and he would have bowled better on that first you know, a couple of days than than some of the uh, other England bowlers did. Uh, they, they, you know, there just wasn't quite the discipline needed. There wasn't quite the movement extracted when England had the chance to bowl. Uh, if they'd had Stuart Broad in their attack, they could have bowled first, and that would have been the right thing to do. 
obviously it's easy in hindsight to, to say all that. And in the end, they didn't bat well enough either. You know, they got the chance to bat first. They should have made... 275, 300, which would have then made uh, the West Indies task of chasing 250, 300 on the last day much harder, and they probably would have won. So that essentially, that cost them the game then, the fact they weren't able to bat well enough in the first thing. The, the decision was right, but they didn't exploit the, the decision that the captain made. Yeah, it, it cost them the game because they didn't make enough runs. And someone like Joe Denning, batting number three, you know, you've got to do better. Than, than he has twice he got out sort of when reasonably set especially in the second innings and you know if you're going to get bowled out for 204 in the first innings you've got to make 400 second innings England had the opportunity to do that they failed to and I, I just don't see how they can persist with with Denley anymore when Root comes back I think Denley goes out well that's you know that's the obvious conclusion to draw from the test match um Ed Smith is chairman of selectors. He's, you know, he's been quite firmly behind Joe Denley and the Joe Denley plan, if you like, which is basically for that top three to absorb lots of balls and wear the opposition bowlers down and then allow the likes of Root and Stokes and, and Pope and, and Butler to exploit it. But you, you think it's time to, to end that experiment that Denley's played his last test match? Yeah, yeah. I do. I, and I've looked at his stats and, and the actual fact at number four, uh, his his average is worse at twenty at uh, twenty two than it is at number two or three. So it doesn't sort of give me any confidence that moving him down the order will help. Particularly, uh, he just hasn't had any kind of. He doesn't show any conviction to me. And um, he's had fifteen tests now, and he's averaging twenty eight or something. So it's just not not good enough. Twenty one of his twenty eight innings have been between four and thirty five. He gets in and then he gets out. And I think he's had enough chances. And it's not like he's 24 and he's going to get any better you know he's in his early 30s now so to me it sounds harsh but uh, I just think he's had his chance um just one other point to make and I suppose the crucial moment of the game or period of the game really was that fourth evening when credit to the the two West Indies fast bowlers who came back after a long day in the field Shannon Gabriel and I think Alzari Joseph and, and Kimar Roach were sort of sharing those last few overs on that last half out and they picked up those key wickets Faz actually you and I were on uh, chatting away on our last podcast as those wickets were falling but great credit to someone like Shannon Gabriel who we slightly mocked when we introduced you in the pre-match podcast with your commentary when he got out against Pakistan and that why did he do that but now he's a hero the way he bowled indeed he is and, and there's no more deserving person because I think he's worked extremely hard on his game uh, he made his test debut way back in 2012 in the Lord's Test match when the West Indies were in England then and, and he broke down uh, in, in the second innings of that test and his, his career would have been dogged by injuries for about five years, he was in and out of the team uh, but, but then uh, he had a new fitness regimen and really uh, has worked himself to, to, to the extent where even on the wrong side of 30 as a fast ball he is a force to reckon with. Had uh, had 13 wickets in, in a test match against Sri Lanka uh, in St. Lucia, one of the flattest of flat pitches that you'd find anywhere in the world a couple of years ago. And nine wickets in this test match as well. And I think, to, to, to be honest, guys, I'll, 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 one of the, the issues that really get up the noses of West Indians is the constant reference to the West Indies as a good warm-up for the next Ashes series. And it happens time and time again that the West Indies are 
are treated <laughs> as if they are an ideal opportunity to blood players for the next Ashes campaign. And I don't know if people notice that England in the last five years have lost 29 test matches. England are an ordinary team. They just happen to play a lot more test cricket and get a lot more attention because of the extent of the media coverage. But they're a very, very ordinary team. And I think part of the problem is the, the levels of expectation of an England team don't exactly square with the quality of their performances. It's, it's a good point. I mean, England have been, I think, an ordinary test team for, for quite a long time now. And we, we've, we've said it quite a lot on this podcast, actually. You know, they have ups and they have downs and, and it, happens, it happens very regularly. I mean, they, they, they have the exciting cricketers that can produce uh, you know, dramatic performances. You know, as we saw last summer with Ben Stokes producing that sort of miracle at, at Headingley. But actually, it's, in a way, it's sort of papered over England's cracks in a way and Australia were able to come back and, and, and win the, the next test match England, England lost in New Zealand they, you know, they dropped a test match in South Africa they've lost this first test match here they, lost, they lose the first test match of, of lots of uh, series uh, you know, recently they've done, they've done it on, on many occasions and now they've got, they've got a big test ahead of them in, in this series to try to, to fight their way back I know uh, last week you, uh, Jos, you asked us for our predictions and Fazia said uh, 2-1 to England and, and Jos you said 2-0 so you're down already um, I, I didn't um, actually I didn't commit myself but I think quite wisely as well although I did say cricketing logic suggests that, that England should w- win the series mm. um, what I did urge was that you know a really good series a good tight t- cricket and we, we, we've had that but I mean West Indies have got a fantastic chance now they, re- they really have I mean they've got these four quick bowlers they've exposed some problems in the England batting lineup. okay Joe Root uh, does come back uh, England have got some really hard work to do if they're to, to get back in this series now they they have some good players England but they have cracks in their side yeah I completely agree with you and uh if Faz given that uh, you said fairly ordinary England team perhaps the celebrations in the Caribbean will be somewhat muted then it's never muted when West Indies beat England. It's never muted, because, again, because of that history. And I, and I don't mean to play it up too much, but uh, the numbers are there and the history is there. Uh, West Indies, uh, because of that history, ha- have always taken a particular pleasure in defeating England at cricket. And, and that's why there'll be an element of satisfaction without getting carried away, because I think uh, many West Indian fans have been worn down by the experiences of constantly losing, as we discussed yesterday in our podcast, even as the wickets were going down, I was telling you that there's no live radio commentary. We're not hearing Simon Mann. We're not hearing Agus. We're not hearing anybody on TMS because there's no radio commentary in Trinidad and Tobago. In many of the Caribbean territories, there really isn't that interest to sustain radio broadcasts of test cricket from England anymore, or even in any part of the world. We all watched on cable television now. So that tells you how, how much the interest has declined. But still, a test match victory over England, away from home especially, at the start of a series, not after you've already lost the series, it, it really will, will put a smile on many faces around the Caribbean. Fazir, you talked about the you know, the England side being not a very good side. Where, where do you see the problems in this England side? You know, looking from a distance and looking in and having seen this Test match and watched them a bit over the years, you know, recent years, where, where are the problems for you? 
well, as an outsider looking in, let me risk it to say that I think there's an element of complacency. Uh, because if you'll recall in the Wisdom Trophy series in the Caribbean last year, the very first thing England did in Barbados was to drop Stuart Broad. And they played two warm-up matches, which, which weren't really uh, th that that intense, and, and there was all sorts of comment about it as well. And and again, of course, the players won't say it, Joe Root won't say it, but maybe psychologically, there's a feeling. Well, it's only the West Indies; it's not the great force of old. Uh, we can try a few things here and there. But uh, again, you've got to respect the game. You've got to respect your opponents. You've got to respect the fact that uh, cricket needs to have competitiveness across the board. And what we have right now is an, an, an even playing field where England play almost as, twice as many test matches as Bangladesh for example how do you expect Bangladesh to grow so if you really want to see the game grow you've got to have more of these things happening so so England will, will, will probably be licking their wounds and looking back at where it went wrong drop catches poor selection decisions and so on but I think overall Simon Overall, England have got to recognize that the, the overall numbers aren't that great for them and they've got to play every opponent as if it's an Ashes battle. You can't just simply be hyped up for, for, for a series every two years and take everything else as a build-up for the next Ashes. So did the fact that Stuart Ball, the fact that Stuart Ball was left out for this Test match, did that feel to you like uh, you, you know, England were experimenting for the future, looking, you know, sort of looking from the outside in? Does that sort of rankle? It, it certainly does, and 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 again, and 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 yours pointed pointed it out that uh, that he felt it was a mistake uh, to leave out uh, Stuart Broad, and, and 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 as he said it, would Stuart Broad have been left out? if it was the first test of an Ashes series? And the answer would be a definitive no, because the response would be that the Ashes are far too important to be trying things, to be experimentation. But the, 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 the condescending inference is that it's okay to try it against the West Indies because we're only ranked ninth in the world. We, 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 we are not the, the great team that we were. And this is the opportunity to try a few things. And, and maybe it's, again, another reminder to England and many of the other uh, power brokers in world cricket, Australia, India, for example, that you need to give the opportunities to the other nations of world cricket. You wouldn't have this uneven playing field in the English Premier League, for example. You wouldn't have the team in the relegation zone playing only 45 minutes against Liverpool because they're not good enough to play a full 90 minutes. And if you continue that way, you're going to continue to widen the gap between the haves and the have-nots and create the opportunity for the teams that are lesser than you to embarrass you, as has happened in this, in this first Test match. Well, listen, congratulations to the West Indies, and uh, I'm sure we all uh, uh, celebrate appropriately. Um, Simon, I think what you have to do, moving on to Manchester is to shout louder from the commentary box. Maybe get a megaphone or something so that you can give England a bit of home support because that's clearly what they're lacking. That's up to them, yours. That's up to them to uh, to generate that energy themselves. And you know, they, 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 there was the energy out there. Whether it was a, you know an issue not playing in front of any spectators, I don't know. But I mean, you know, it was it was the same for for both sides. Um, it, it, what it does do, actually, is it, it actually really in, sort of intensifies the focus for the second Test match. It, it really does. West Indies have come here, they've won, and you know England have got a real challenge ahead of them uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks to, to drag themselves uh, back in the series. And it'll be interesting to see whether they do leave out Joe Denley. Uh, Josh Butler is another uh, question mark with uh, Ben yeah. Folkes uh, in the wings as well, and how they, what they do with those pace bowlers. I mean, you know, it's interesting listening to Faz there. I mean, one thing I would say is that England had, I would say for this test match, had five very selectable fast bowlers. 
you know, Broad and, and Chris Wokes uh, left out, and the, the three they played, you could all make a strong argument for them playing. Mark Wood took nine wickets in his last Test match. You know, surely you want Joffre Archer to play, and then there's Jimmy Anderson with you know, five hundred plus Test wickets. Um, you know, they they did make that decision. I mean, it may be that they should have played Broad. You know, the, think about the pitches. They should have played Broad here and and Wood at Old Trafford. You know, the, the Old Trafford pitch, you think, might, might be more suitable. It's normally a bit pacey and a bit bouncier. Anyway, uh, what it does do is, it, you know, it creates a, you know, a really interesting conversation around the, the second Test match, what England are going to come up with. Um, you know, it's, it's turning into a fascinating series already. And um, just just tell us, how's it been um, for, for you commentating in the, the biosecure bubble? Um, an interesting experience. Uh, I, I mean, we, of course, we all miss the crowds. I think you, you miss the last, the, the crowd involvement in the last day as well, the tension of a last day. So we, we didn't quite have that. And I mean, I quite like the idea of getting up in the morning and, and walking about 20 metres to work. That's, that's quite nice. The commentary box is about, uh, you know, six doors down so that, you know, you don't have all that sort of battling with the traffic or the tube or, or, or whatever to, to get to work. So I quite like that. But, I mean, yeah, we, we, we desperately need some, some crowds back. And it'd be fant- it was great that people were able to play at the weekend for the first time. But, you know, we're looking forward to the time when we, we get some crowds back. That interaction between the players and the crowd and, you know, they... They feed off uh, one another. But as for as for being in, staying in the hotel at the ground, big thumbs up for that. Well, Faz and Simon, thanks very much for your time. Safe travels to you, Simon, back up to Old Trafford. Series set brilliantly. What an amazing weekend of cricket it's been for everybody, actually, with the Test match and all the club players all playing. Cricket is back and everybody feels better as a result. We'll be previewing the next test when I'll also be interviewing a leading county chief executive to look at how county cricket is going to unfold over the next few weeks. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening. Network. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.